Mindfulness Mode, 247. Fresh whole foods are without a doubt the direction that we need to be moving in. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Well, Mindful Tribe, I am very excited today. I have a special, special guest who is really changing things the way we look at our pets and how we care for them. Today's guest is Dr. Gary Richter, and I'm so excited to have you on. This is really exciting. Are you in Mindfulness Mode? Dr. Richter? I am indeed. (laughs) That's good. Dr. Gary Richter is a holistic veterinarian who focuses on the integration of holistic and general practice veterinary medicine. He's passionate about educating professionals and pet owners on the benefits of integrative care. The safe and effective use of medical cannabis in dogs and cats is central to both Dr. Richter's medical practice and educational outreach. By integrating medical cannabis with other conventional and alternative therapies, Dr. Richter has been able to improve the quality of the lives of pets living with medical conditions, ranging from arthritis to inflammatory bowel disease to cancer. Dr. Richter has been practicing veterinary medicine in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1998 and in 2015 was awarded the title America's Favorite Veterinarian by the American Veterinary Medical Foundation. So we're talking with America's Favorite Veterinarian. Well, what does mindfulness mean to you, a person who deals with pets all the time? Yeah, you know that's a that's a great question because you you know for 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 what I do every day, I I get the great benefit of being of being reminded multiple times per day of what mindfulness really means because because if you really want to see mindfulness in action, all you need to do is look at your dog. Yeah. Uh, you know these these you know dogs are that is just their natural state of being. Um, you know, all of the, all of the hangups, all of the worries, all of the things that people can get kind of spun up about, you know, your dog, your dog just doesn't live that way. And, um, you know, and to me, um, you know, if I can, if I can manage to, to, to live in the moment and, and appreciate my surroundings in the same way that most of my patients do, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good day. And do you feel that a lot of your pet owners that you work with, your clients, do you think that they identify with that level of mindfulness and that they learn from their pets? I, you know, I, I think like many of us, we, uh, we aspire. Uh, <laughs> we aspire to be that way. Uh, you know, I, I very frequently talk to, my, uh, to, to pet owners, to my clients about, um, uh, about, about the lessons that we can learn from our pets and that that clearly is is the number one thing of 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 how to live in the moment right well, I remember Dr. Wayne Dyer talking about pets and talking about how he doesn't believe in taking a life. And it must be very difficult because, you know, pets suffer pain. And in our society, we have this this opinion or this attitude that, you know, as soon as your pet is suffering, you know, there's that option of euthanasia. So what is your opinion on this? You know, I mean, euthanasia is, you know, undoubtedly, you know, one of the 
one of the most difficult uh, decisions that both a veterinarian and pet owners need to make with regards to their pet care. And, uh, and, and I don't think that there is a more personal decision that a person can make than, than when, you know, when to euthanize. Um, at the end of the day, uh, it's really a quality of life issue. Uh, and, and, you know, from, from my perspective as a veterinarian, you know, I, it's, it's, it's not, it's not really my job or my position to tell somebody, okay, now do it, you know, do it now. But, um, but what I do offer is to talk to people about quality of life and, and to, you know, to kind of walk them through the process of assessing, you know, at what point do they personally feel that their pet's quality of life is no longer at a place where, uh, you know, where it's, you know, at, at an acceptable level. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, that I very frequently tell pet owners is, is, you know, humane euthanasia at the right time, quite frankly, may be, you know, the, the last best favor that we can do for a loved one. And it's probably the favor that none of us humans will ever receive. Uh, you know, I mean, if, if anybody has ever sort of witnessed end of life issues, um, particularly with a person, uh, they will know that these issues are, you know, it's 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 frequently not it's not a pleasant experience. You know, the, the very, very end of life issues. It's, it's a very difficult thing for the patient, be they human or animal to go through. And, you know, if we're at a point where we know you know, where we know where this is going and we know the timeline that it's going. And, and the only question is, is, you know, should this patient suffer to the end or should we provide them with a soft landing? Um, you know, I think that's something that a lot of pet owners um, think long and hard about, but ultimately, you know, ultimately decide for the welfare of their pet. And this takes us right into the conversation about marijuana and cannabis. And how long have you been investigating this and using this as an alternative to deal with pain? You know, I've been um, I've been working with with cannabis in some fashion or another with pets probably for upwards of three years now. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it kind of began with uh, you know with some of my own personal experiences uh, with cannabis as medicine in humans. And and just sort of led down that pathway and living where I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, there is a lot of access uh, to medical cannabis. And because of that, we do have the you know, we, we, we do have the great benefit of um, of of being able to offer uh, pet owners some guidance on how they can use cannabis to improve the quality of life of their pets. And is there a difference between cannabis and marijuana? Are they just two different words for the same thing? Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's splitting hairs a little bit, but ultimately they're, they're fairly interchangeable. Um, on the medical end of things, we tend to use the term, um, uh, cannabis because, because marijuana has somewhat of a pejorative, you know, uh, you know, perception in, in, in a lot of circles. Right, right. So tell us about the use that you're making with pets, with cannabis. How are you making this work? Sure. So, um, you know, for starters, uh, it's important to understand that whenever cannabis is used as medicine in pets, you know, almost exclusively we're talking about something that's given orally, like a, like an oil or a liquid of some kind. I mean, nobody's advocating that dogs or cats be smoking or exposed to smoke. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing good will come of that. Um, but, you know, all of the same all of the same things that people benefit from. So things like pain control, 
seizure control, stress, anxiety, um, uh, um, you know, helping with cancer patients, gastrointestinal disease, all of these various conditions that can help people uh, um, you know, cannabis is also equally as applicable um, in dogs and cats as well. Right. And I noticed that you really focus on dogs and cats in your book, The Ultimate Pet Health Guide. Yeah. Do you treat other animals at your clinics as well? And why did you decide to focus only on dogs and cats? You know, that's a, that, that, that's a really great question. I mean, we do offer uh, care for um, other exotic uh, pets at, at, at the office. So things like birds and small mammals. So like, you know, uh, hamsters, guinea pigs, these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, the, 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 the practice is largely focused on dogs and cats, you know, mostly because, you know, that is the, the, that is the vast majority of pet ownership. Uh, so that's most of what comes through the door. And from a research perspective, uh, that's where a lot of the research is done. Um, although I will say that there are some people out there that are doing research specific to medical cannabis in horses as well. Um, but that is a little bit outside of my professional expertise. Right. I see. Well, you know, I want to talk about food because when we talk about mindfulness with people, food comes up. Food is always a conversation. Let's have a conversation about food for pets. There's so many questions if you're a pet owner, you know, raw, cooked, vegetarian, dry, wet. What are your comments on foods for, for pets? You know, it's a, it, the, 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 the food and nutrition discussion for pets is a, is a, is a pretty long and, and detailed discussion, but a lot of it can really be distilled down to, uh, you know, just like with us as humans, the closer that we can get our pets to eating a fresh whole food diet, the more healthy that they are going to be. So, you know, fresh whole foods for dogs and cats could mean uh, food that you're making at home uh, from a balanced recipe. It could also mean uh, things that are bought in the pet store. So, you know, frozen raw food or, or frozen cooked food that you, that you just thaw and serve. There's freeze-dried food, there's dehydrated foods that are all sort of fit within this kind of fresh food genre. Uh, as soon as we step outside of that and, and you know, and we get into things like, uh, things like kibble, so like dry food or food in cans, you know, it's best to think of those as highly processed foods because they are highly processed foods. And I think we all know uh, for our own health you know, we really should be staying away from eating a lot of highly processed foods um, because, you know, it, in the long run, it's just really not good for us. Um, and that's really why I spent a lot of time in the book focusing on nutrition for dogs and cats. That's why I've got 50 homemade recipes in the book um, so that everything from puppies and kittens all the way up to geriatric animals and animals that are sick, there are specific recipes to let people uh, feed their pets to their optimal health uh, through good nutrition. Right, right. Okay. Well, that sounds really excellent because, of course, we want to feed our pets the very best food, but sometimes there's that feeling, well, it should be dry food or it should be only the pet food that you see at the stores because that has certain supplements or nutrients, that kind of thing. Right. You know, I mean, and, and that, I mean, without a doubt, there are there are regulations associated with pet food in the sense that there are requirements that that all commercially available pet foods have to meet a certain minimum standard of nutrients. But in honest in all honesty, 
that's all it really is, is it's a minimum standard. So, you know, I mean, it's, you know, so they, you know, they have to make sure, for example, there's enough vitamin C in there that a dog isn't going to get scurvy or something. Right, I mean, right. Honestly, it's a pretty low bar um, that we're setting there. And, and, you know, and without a doubt, there are some, some foods out there commercially that are far better than others. Um, but at the end of the day, there is a lot of marketing and a lot of advertising and a lot of labeling that's trying to convince you as the pet owner to buy a certain product. And I would urge people to not, not just believe the marketing and the advertising, um, and to really think about nutrition in, in the same terms that you should be thinking about your own nutrition, which is fresh whole foods are without a doubt the direction that we need to be moving in. Okay, that makes sense. You are America's favorite veterinarian. When you were a little boy, when you were eight years old, tell us about yourself. Were you a pet owner? What attracted you to this career? You know, I was always, I was always that kid that was that was drawn to animals. Um, just was, you know, always fascinated by them. Uh, you know, whether it was dogs or cats or birds or wild animals or whatever it may be. I, you know, it was just something that I was always fascinated by. Um, and, and, you know, along with that, I've, I've always been a little bit of a science geek. So, so it was really kind of a natural progression for me to kind of move, uh, to really move in that direction. Um, and, and, you know, really from almost as long as I can remember, you know, the, the, the thought of being a veterinarian was certainly high on my list of things that I wanted to do. Right. And then you, uh, you decided to get into that field. You're obviously a people person because I'm sure you wouldn't have earned that, that uh, award of being America's favorite veterinarian. Tell us about dealing with the owners of pets. Do you have to really apply a lot of mindfulness sometimes when you're dealing with some of the pet owners? Boy, you really, you really do. And it's interesting because this is something that, that, that nobody teaches uh, you know, they don't teach you this kind of stuff in veterinary school. Um, but, but as you might imagine, there is, um, there is a lot of emotion and in many cases, a lot of anxiety wrapped up in people's veterinary visits, especially if they're coming in, if their pet is sick. Um, and that is something that as a veterinarian, you really have to be able to manage and have to be able to deal with and, and, and maintain focus. Um, you know, so, so, you know, much like many other stressful situations in life, uh, you know, my job is to is to keep the conversation centered on what is what is best for the pet. I, I think of myself as as an advocate for the animal uh, first and foremost, and that's the that's the position I take when when I speak with pet owners. Um, so you know, if you know, while they may be sort of spinning around in a you know in a in a, an emotional and psychological way. Uh, we really work on keeping the focus of the conversation towards what's best for their animal. Well, speaking of what's best, I know when we talk about mindfulness with humans, it often comes to the topic of nature. Getting out into nature, that's where you can truly feel mindful. Well, I think it probably is true with animals too. I know when I take my dog out to the woods and I can take her leash off and it's an open woods, you know it's safe there and it's a good place for her to run. She just loves it. What are your thoughts about getting our pets into nature? Sure. I mean, certainly when it when it comes to dogs, I mean, most dogs are thrilled to get out and 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 you know get out there in nature. I mean, there's all these things to smell and see and and, yeah. and investigate. Uh, you know, few things are going to make a dog happier than than just that kind of sensory input. Now, obviously, when it comes to kitties, that's a little bit different. 
Um, you know, cats are, are they're kind of the, the sort of the ultimate OCD person. They like to have their environment very stable and very set. Uh, so, you know, maybe taking your cat out to the woods is probably not the best plan, but, um, but, you know, anytime you can get your dog out for new experiences and, and new sights and new smells, you know, that's, that, that's gonna, that's gonna make for a really happy dog. Well, our cats are house cats and we made the decision early on that the best way to keep them safe was to keep them inside our house and we do have enough room for them and we can stimulate them with different things they're interested in and so on. Is that what you recommend too, that it's a good idea to keep them uh, inside if you can? Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, it is certainly, it is, it is without a doubt the safest thing for cats is to stay indoors. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things outside that can really, really be problematic for cats, ranging from cars to dogs to wild animals. Um, you know, it's just, it's just a very dangerous place. And in addition to that, um, there's actually some very real concern about the effects on wildlife of cats that live outside. So, you know, songbirds, these sorts of things that cats are catching, it's, it's a real issue. So, you know, I would, I would always recommend, um, you know, for the safety of the cat, as well as for the safety of some of the wild creatures outside, uh, keep your kitty indoors. Well, let's talk more about your book, The Ultimate Pet Health Guide. We've talked about food. We've talked about exercise. What else is important for us as pet owners to be focused on? Um, you, you know, I mean, I think that... Um, when we look at sort of optimal health care uh, for dogs and cats, you know, clearly nutrition is going to be the foundation of everything. But as we kind of take a step beyond that, uh, what, I, what I like to recommend people do is to really take a, 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 a proactive approach to health care. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, let's, let's turn our pet's health care into something more than the annual visit to the veterinarian where they go in and they get a vaccine and then that's pretty much the long and the short of it. Uh, you know, just like is the case with our own health care, you know, disease is always easier to prevent than it is to treat. And it's always easier to treat if it's diagnosed early than if it's diagnosed late. So that means, you know, I mean, that means maintaining a, you know, not only healthy nutrition, but a healthy lifestyle, so appropriate exercise, that means, you know, speaking either with your veterinarian or maybe with a holistic practitioner about some other things that maybe you can do for your pet as an individual. Uh, you know, perhaps there are there are supplements or herbal therapies, you know, that may help uh, that may help your dog or your cat uh, stay healthy. Um, you know, you know, the perfect example would be, you know, really active dogs. Uh, there is a good chance that as they get older, they may start to get arthritic. Uh, but why wait until they're arthritic to actually start treating them? You know, there are certainly things that we can do to help, you know, e at either prevent or at least delay the onset of arthritis and joint pain. Um, so there, you know, there are dietary considerations and nutritional supplements and herbal therapies and all kinds of things that we can do. Um, so, you know, I would just urge people to take that proactive approach. Don't wait till there's a problem, because once that happens, it's just it's just a much tougher road to go down. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, let's face it, we do that as humans. We're, yes, we we try to be very careful and proactive for sure, or a lot of us do. And so it makes sense with pets. Now, as far as training your pet, I know that some pets are very stressed out because maybe they haven't been trained properly. They don't quite know what's expected of them, where they should be at a given time, whatever. What are your thoughts on training 
uh, well, especially dogs. Yeah, you know, I mean, training is really important because training, as you say, I mean, proper training actually is going to really minimize a pet's stress level. Yes. Um, you know, I mean, dogs, dogs and cats, but I mean, in, in the in the sense of, you know, speaking of training, I mean, particularly dogs, you know, they're creatures of habit and routine. Um, and if they know what their routine is and they have some predictability in their day, then they tend to be calmer when there's uncertainty, when they feel like, you know, there may be something that poses a threat to them, whether it's a legitimate threat or just a perceived threat that is going to raise their stress level. So, you know, for example, you know, if, if, if you have a dog that, um, you know, that has a tendency to, you know, get stressed, you know, if they say, if they see other dogs outside or, or, you know, if, if, you know, you know, like a big truck goes by and it, and it creates anxiety for them, you know, starting to teach the dog, um, coping mechanisms, you know, teaching the dog to defer to you as the owner. Um, so if they, you know, if they see something that causes them stress and instead of barking or getting excited about it, they've been trained to just look to you for their cue. Um, and, and the, the signal that you send back to them is everything's fine. Then they're going to take your word for it that everything is fine. You know, dogs are ultimately pack animals and they naturally will subscribe to a hierarchical, um, relationship. And, as long as they have somebody or something to look up to in their in their world, uh, you know, for um, for you know, you know, to for for guidance, uh, then that really really limits their stress level and it helps them just do so much better. Right. My dog is a West Highland Terrier and she's a great dog. She's healthy. Even though she's, she's pushing 12 years old, she loves to get out there and run and she's active, but she, she wants the three members of our family, my wife and my son and I to all be together, you know, <laughs> and then if one of us is going off to work, then that's stressful for her. And she barks. Yeah. That's when she gets upset. And yeah. we've tried to train her and to you know, like calm her during these times, you know, when we're not all together. If one of us is there, she's perfectly calm and relaxed. It's that separating, you know, when one of us goes off, do you have any words of advice for that? Separation anxiety issues um, with dogs, they certainly can be very tricky because it is anxiety and stress. It's such a, it's such a reflexive thing with dogs. It's kind of a chemical response. It's not a, it's not a voluntary response. Now, one of the things that we often recommend people do is, is they, um, you know, they, they can work with a trainer to kind of help them desensitize uh, their pet to these kinds of stressful situations. And, and you know, I mean, a, a lot of what goes on with pets from a training perspective, you know, I often tell people that, that you know, 80 to 90 percent of dog training is actually people training. Um, yes. because, because essentially, you know, the the, the the chasm that we're trying to cross here is that how do we communicate with the dog what we want from them in a way that they'll understand? Right. And it's and it's really just us as humans that are just too stupid to try and <laughs> to, to try and be able to communicate that. Yes. Because, you know, like like stupid humans, we're constantly trying to talk to the dog like we would talk to a person. And God knows I'm as guilty of this as everybody else is. You know, you, you try and have a conversation with their dog and they're just looking at you like, you know, you know, they're, they're you know, all they're hearing is blah, blah, blah. Yes. Um, so, you know, and it's and it, it's fascinating to me when you when you watch a really good dog trainer work, 
It is amazing how quickly they can get a, a, a dog they just met to do something that they want the dog to do. I mean, oftentimes, literally within a matter of seconds, yes. they can get the dog to do it because they understand how to ask the dog. Um, and a lot of times that's really what it's about is how do we ask the dog in a, in a way, you know, in a way that they'll understand. Um, you know, going beyond that, if it really is kind of a stress and anxiety sort of situation, um, you know, sometimes there can be herbal therapy and supplements that can help cut the anxiety a little bit as well. Uh, you know, sometimes there's a, a, a question of maybe just making some subtle changes in the environment or the way the way that people interact with the dog when they come and go. So it tends to be tends to be a, a less stressful situation. Right. I've worked in bullying prevention for a long time, and I wanted to ask you, do dogs bully each other? Is that a problem? Do you have a story about bullying that you can share with us? You know, I don't know that I would necessarily call it bullying, but certainly dogs, you know, I guess I guess bullying in people, you know, implies a, a certain intent of malice. Yes. You know, with dogs, again, sort of getting back to that mindfulness thing, I don't think dogs, maliciousness is not in their repertoire. Right. Um, But as I was saying earlier, I mean, dogs definitely have a hierarchical thing going on. And, and, you know, certainly there are instances where one dog, for whatever reason or another, they feel like they need to step in and play the dominant role, whether or not they feel like they're threatened or their space is being invaded. You know, you certainly see that, um, you know, classically. Um, you know, what might happen is somebody, you know, somebody shows up at somebody else's house with their dog and they bring their dog into the home and the dog that lives in that house feels like they're, they're defending, they have to defend their perceived space. And then there's an altercation. Um, you know, there are, and, and there are ways to avoid that, you know? So for example, a really great way to introduce dogs that have never met before is you introduce them on neutral ground. You take them out to a park or something where nobody has to feel defensive. Right. That way they can just, you know, that way they can they, they can just do their thing um, and uh, and get acquainted. So when they go back to somebody's house, there's going to be less likely um, less likely an altercation. Yeah, that makes sense. Really does. As we uh, begin to reach the end of our interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions, and we'll just zoom through these questions. The first one is this: Who is one person who has influenced your own mindfulness? Wow, that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, I would I would actually say my wife Lee. Ah, you know, she is. Um, you know, she's somebody who who spends a lot more time thinking about mindfulness than I do. Okay. To me, it's just, you know, like I say, I mean, it's somewhat part of my job. But I mean, you know, she definitely spends a lot more time thinking about it. And because of that, um, you know, it's it's something that we, we certainly speak about a lot. And it, and it definitely changes my focus. Sure. And how has mindfulness affected your emotions? You know, it, 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 it affects my emotions in the sense that I use it. I use it to, to center um, and, you know, particularly at times in my in my professional life where things can get intense, can get stressful. There's a lot of emotion and, and, and sometimes there's a lot of sometimes there's a lot of emotion that winds up getting dumped on the veterinarian. And, and you know, I, I use mindfulness to keep myself centered and able to focus on what I need to do. That makes sense. And tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. You know, it is it. it, it it's not necessarily something that I consciously think of, uh, but it absolutely is, you know, it absolutely is something that, that, that helps, 
you know, helps keep one centered and helps, you know, helps you stay calm and focused um, in a, you know, in a chaotic and stressful environment. For sure. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? Well, um, you know, I, I, I still remember as a, you know, as being an undergraduate, having read um, The Tao of Pooh. Yes. Uh, was a, I, that, was a, that was a real life changer for me. It was a real eye opener that, you know, from a, from a philosophical standpoint, there was a, you know, there, there was a, you know, a way to live your life in, in, you know, in that regards. Sure. And I'll put this into our show notes as well. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful or maybe others that you know? That's a really good question. You know, honestly, I don't I don't have an app that I particularly use uh, for these things. Uh, so I, I, I don't have one to give you there. Right. Well, I'm really excited about the fact that we've talked all about pets. I haven't had a lot of a lot of guests on to talk about mindfulness and pets. So I really appreciate you coming on the show, Dr. Richter. How can we learn more about what you do and how can we get your book? Can you share that with us? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. So um, so if people are, are, are interested in learning more about the book, they can go to the website drgaryrichter.com. So it's Richter, R-I-C-H-T-E-R, so drgaryrichter.com. Um, and also uh, we are all uh, – currently we're, we're, we're offering some bonuses to people. Um, uh, if they send an email to bonus at petvetexpert.com, uh, we have some bonuses for people who buy the book, including um, video summaries of the first three chapters, a monthly newsletter, um, some homemade recipes, um, and some videos of, of how to make some of these recipes. So, you know, if, if, if somebody's interested in really kind of taking charge of, of their pet's health care and using integrative medicine to keep their pets healthy, uh, I think this is a really great opportunity for people to take that step. Oh, that's great. And and like I said, I will put that link in the website as well. So it's mindfulnessmode.com. Make sure you go and, and check that out because those bonuses sound amazing to get the videos and the recipes. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Richter. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Bye now. Have a, have a good day. Yeah, I will. You too. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.